Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the Ave Geeks podcast. I'm Flight Corporal Jack Anderson, and I'm here tonight with Flight Corporal Aiden Paul. How's it going? And tonight, uh, Flight Corporal McConnell will not be joining us. She's on vacation. Um, personally, I think she made a good choice, though, because given, I think given the choice between uh, going to the beach and listening to us talk about random facts and statistics for 20 minutes, I think most people would pick going to the beach. I, can you agree with me on that, Paul? Uh, I got to send them the biggest fan on the beach, but even then I would probably still choose it. Yeah. Yeah. So as much as we love aviation history, uh, vacation is still pretty fun. So she will be back next week. Probably. I think she'll be back next week. Um, Anyway, while she's gone, we're going to be running the show and we have a very interesting topic for this week. It is flying aircraft carriers. They existed. Surprisingly, they did. That's that's a lot of things you see in like um, like the Avengers. You see, they have the helicarrier, and you see that in a lot of sci-fi and uh, like futuristic movies. You always see like some flying aircraft carrier. We actually had these a hundred years ago, but now we don't. So we've sort of regressed from some of the coolest technology ever to just regular old aircraft carriers. I'm saying that as if aircraft carriers aren't totally awesome they they are awesome i want to be a fighter pilot when i'm older so still flying aircraft carriers would be the best oh yeah anyway let's first of all talk about the big era of the flying aircraft carrier which was world war one and the uh, between wars periods of the 1920s and the 1930s so um We talked about this quite a while back in uh, season one. We talked about Zeppelins, airships, hot air balloons, stuff like that. So I don't really think we need to go too deep into the history of how the Zeppelin works. But um, around 1915, during the First World War, the German military started using them on a wide scale to uh, patrol the coast, but mainly to bomb English cities. So this was one of the first times in history we ever saw strategic bombing. Um, again, we did another episode fully dedicated to that in uh, season one. Uh, I can't believe how many things we have a special episode dedicated to. Like uh, pretty much every topic we've ever talked about on the show has its own special episode. Gee, who would have guessed? <laughs> yeah. Everything we've talked about on this episode, who would have guessed? <laughs> yeah, I, that's quite surprising, isn't it? But um as we talked about strategic bombing, that was really first seen during the First World War. Um, so how did the British counter this? Well, they countered this uh, with their own airships, with anti-aircraft guns, but the big ones uh, were fighter planes. They sent up their biplanes to take down German Zeppelins. Now, of course, the early German Zeppelins they had uh, machine guns on them, sometimes even had their own anti-aircraft guns, which... Again, that, that seems like a great idea, putting an anti-aircraft gun on a highly explosive uh, Zeppelin, doesn't it? What could yeah, possibly go the, wrong there? Doesn't exactly help a dare made out of the hydrogen. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, if you, if you forgot why they were made out of hydrogen, uh, we did explain this in the last time we talked about Zeppelins, but it's because it was much cheaper and it was much more available to the Germans. So the Americans... Um, We'll talk about some of their airships later on, but mainly they used helium, which was much safer because for anyone who doesn't know, hydrogen is highly explosive. So 
Yeah, again, great job putting this in a massive airship. What could go wrong there? Um, well, you know what they say, hindsight's twenty twenty. But um, uh, anyway, so what the what the British had to do was they developed better and faster aircraft that could fly up higher so they could take out these German Zeppelins. Now, at the time, there were no German aircraft that could really fly that long. Or there weren't any fighters. Of course, the Germans had um, very long-range bomber aircraft. The problem was you can't really fight off uh, fighter planes in a bomber. It's just very hard to do. So they came up with the genius strategy of tying a fighter plane to the bottom of it and then untying it and dropping it down to go fight off the British when it was time. Back then, it was literally that simple. Um, how times have changed. Yeah, how times have changed. It's a lot harder now with like air-to-air -air refueling. It's a lot more technical. Back then, you just threw a rope around the biplane and tied it off and hoped it was good. Um, now, in the 1920s and the 1930s, that did change a bit. So um, the U.S., I did say we we're going to talk about them a bit. They built two massive airships, which were the uh, USS Akron and the USS, uh, I think it was called the Macon or, mm. yeah, I think the Mackin it was called. Um, and they were launched in 1931 and 1933, respectively. Here's a fun fact. Um, the Akron, I believe, was actually only five meters off from being the biggest thing humanity's put in the sky. I've read that too, actually. Um, I think we might have watched that from the same documentary, but yeah, it was, it was just shy of being uh, the biggest thing ever to fly. Uh, in case anyone doesn't know, that is actually a record held by the Hindenburg, or it was held by the Hindenburg until it crashed on, uh, on uh, an early on flight in 1937. However, um, the way these uh, new aircraft carriers, these new flying aircraft carriers worked was a lot more technical. So what would happen was they'd have um, a big steel rod that would come down. Um, imagine like if you're at a gym, you know those... Um, uh, weight bars that you, I'm, I'm not a gym guy, so I don't know what they're called. Uh, uh, what are they called? Um, you know what I'm talking about where there's a bar and there's weights on either side of it. Do you, I don't know the name for that. Barbell? Is that pardon? A barbell. A barbell. Thank you. So imagine a big steel barbell coming down and the fighters, they would have uh, a big hook on the top of them, a big steel hook. And what they would have to do was fly underneath, match the airship speed and then they'd just cut the engine and they'd fall down and they would hope that it would hook onto this barbell. And if it didn't, well, they better get that engine working again real quick or else they're, they're gonna go for a nosedive right into the ocean. But um, this was actually very interesting, a very interesting and very technical process because once they were hooked onto the barbell, they would actually be lifted up. It was like uh, an elevator almost. And there'd be a hangar on the inside of the airship that could store uh, five or six airplanes in it. So, pretty sure there's three. Uh, we'll, we'll see that on later models. So, like um, in the 1950s, they started doing that. But on this one, it was actually big enough to get hold five. But the reason it could hold five was because these were the, like, the worst planes you could ever find. They were the tiniest little things, they were super light. Pretty much, they were the bare bones minimum, nothing special about them. Uh, however, they, they weren't really meant for their um, overall great qualities. They were meant just to fit inside this aircraft carrier 
and then go off and scout or even defend the ship sometimes. Um, however, however they, oh, pardon? Oh, and I was going to mention how they were, how they got rid of them or how they were destroyed, sorry. Oh, yeah. Uh, for anyone wondering, no, they weren't scrapped. They weren't decommissioned. They got completely wrecked in storms, which again shows the how bad an airship actually is. They they flew out into the ocean and they faced a little bit of wind and some rain. Um, the Aquan, when it crashed, I believe I read somewhere it was uh, only three survivors out of a crew of around 70. Um, the the Mackin, that one, it was, it was much more lucky because it crashed uh, just off the coast of New Jersey. So, and this one actually, it had life jackets on it. The other one, they didn't give it a budget to have life jackets on board. But yeah, so when this one crashed into the ocean, 83 of the crew survived. Uh, it was either 83, sorry, or 81. I sometimes get those numbers confused. I was just reading them. Um, but yeah, so that was definitely a much higher survivability rate than with the other one. However, it proved that these airships were too fragile. So if they, could, if they could not even handle a storm, they would probably not stand up under enemy fire. Um, like not only were they fragile, like just the fact that they were huge meant that they were an obvious target to both enemies and lightning, which was how yeah, the Hindenburg exactly. went down. Like, that's how the Hindenburg went down. So we've got the top three biggest airships to ever exist all went down from weather problems. Well, Paul, I want you to hold that thought because we are going to do an episode based solely on the Hindenburg. We're going to do sort of a true crime, what brought it down, because it's never actually been proven if it was struck by lightning or if there was a hydrogen leak or a fuel leak on board. So uh, we are going to do a bit of investigation into that later on. Uh, and we're going to see which one we think is most likely, but... Let's just hold that thought for right now. Um, so yeah, it was, it was fairly obvious by the end of the 1930s that these aircraft carriers were completely useless. Because um, not only, as we said, were they uh, very susceptible to storms and bad weather, but they just weren't effective. Their aircraft, as I said, were very small, nothing going on on them. So they really wouldn't be able to defend themselves against the much faster German and Japanese fighters. Now that brings us on to the, uh, the next sort of area, which is the 1950s. So shortly after World War II, America started having bigger and higher flying bombers, such as the B-36. The problem was their fighter technology hadn't exactly caught up, or it had, but it hadn't caught up in the right way. So um, they, they had jet fighters now, they had fighter jets, which was definitely a big improvement. The problem was they didn't have a long enough range because you have to remember back in the 1950s, air-to-air -air refueling wasn't really a thing. Um, it, it could be done, but it was like a last ditch effort if you were completely out of gas because it was so unsafe and so impractical that you were probably safer just gliding down to earth. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Every feeling technology wasn't exactly at the standard it's held up today. Exactly. So we have to look back though to World War II when um, the Americans had aircraft like the P-51 and the P-47, which were able to escort the American bombers. The reason for that was that the American bombers weren't flying halfway around the world. They were flying from England to Europe. So 
Yeah, Paul, I can see you laughing a bit there, but that is definitely a true thing. The, the task that was being asked of them was definitely much higher in the 50s than it was during World War II, because during World War II, it was, um, I don't want to say it was a short flight, but uh, it was a shorter distance that they had to cover, so the fighters could definitely stay with them for most of that time. However, with, um, with aircraft now flying from bases either in Western Europe or the United States, flying all the way to the Soviet Union, most of the time their fighter escorts would have to turn back. So how do you solve that problem? Well, the US Air Force came up with uh, a few different solutions for it. The first one they tried was putting a fighter jet into the bomb bay of the B-36. The problem was they found that um, this, this wasn't really gonna work. It wasn't gonna fit, uh, especially because if you had it hanging out the bottom, it would cause too much drag on the aircraft. So what they had to do was fit it fully inside the plane. But in order to do that, it had to be extremely tiny. And that's where, um, I know I've seen this in memes a lot, where um, they're showing like the smallest plane in the world and it's like this tiny little, it looks like a bubble almost. That is what that aircraft was designed to do. It was designed to fit inside the bomb bay of a B-36 and then be able to drop out, fly around, protect the bombers, and then land back inside. However, surprise, surprise, trying to land a fighter jet inside a moving airplane that was very small didn't exactly turn out well. And this turned out to be highly dangerous, highly complicated. And the Air Force only actually completed it twice successfully. It also doesn't help that eggs aren't very aerodynamic. No, no, it doesn't. Like, you can look up a picture of this thing. I have no clue how it flied. Fly, flied. I said flied. How it flew, sorry. Oh, wow. How it flied. Hmm. Um. Anyway, seriously, search this thing up. Search up um, like the tiny little bubble fighter. It was it was hilarious, honestly. I again, the name's slipping my mind tonight, um, but it was really small, and again, it wasn't really practical. It had a few machine guns in it, but if this thing had to go into a dogfight with uh, a Soviet fighter like a Yak or a Mig, it would get torn to shreds. So the Air Force started work on their next proposal, which was take a normal fighter jet, but um, hook things up to its wings so that it could hook up with a larger bomber. So sort of make like uh, safety pins that would like hook up to each other uh, on the outside of the plane. So not only would that make it so that the bomber could carry two fighters, that would also increase the range of the bomber because it would massively increase the wingspan. It was even more dangerous than the egg fighters. Exactly, because imagine trying, like if you've ever seen videos of an air show, imagine two planes trying to touch their wings together without ramming each other. Now imagine they have to try and hook onto each other. Again, that's, that is so inconvenient. That is so unsafe that it's probably just not worth it. You might as well not have a fighter escort at that point. Right. And yeah, I think when it gets to the point where your fighter escort is making you an easier target, egg, you seriously got to rethink that. Yeah. Yeah. So it didn't happen in the 1950s. However, let's move on to the 1970s. And since... I might want to add something real quick here. Yeah, sorry. Um, Go ahead. 
they're the eventual model that they decided, okay, you know, it's good enough. Let's just go for this was just essentially just strapping a fighter jet to the bottom of your, of the bomber and just accepting the additional drag. Yeah. So like, imagine, um, imagine a plane hanging off of another plane, hanging off the bottom of another plane. Imagine how much drag that would cause. Imagine how dangerous that'd be too. Cause like if that ever got stuck, that system ever got stuck and they had to make an emergency landing. Uh, first of luck. all, yeah, the fighter pilot wouldn't even be able to eject in that scenario because he would eject straight up into the bomber. Like, I don't know yeah, what they were thinking in that scenario, but I guess you got to do what you got to do. It's like the ball turret on the B-17. It's just waiting for somebody to get yeah. stuck in there. Exactly. It is, it is a disaster waiting to happen. But that brings us on to the 1970s. And since the 1950s, aircraft technology had really improved. The one major aircraft that made the most difference was the Boeing 747. This is an aircraft we've talked about quite a bit on this show. It's an aircraft that I think we all love and admire. But the US Air Force decided to take it, rip it apart, and turn it into a flying aircraft carrier. And that went just as well as you would expect. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're starting to sound like a broken record at this point, but I, I really don't think that was a good idea. Yeah. Um it, it was sort of ingenious in how it worked, but it, it just didn't seem practical. Uh, so what mm -hmm. happened was they they designed a special micro fighter. This one was actually better than the egg one, um, or the bubble one as I called it, but it was, it was still tiny. It had 20 millimeter cannons. Um, I think Bowen said theoretically it could have two missiles or two bombs on it. Uh, but still, imagine that trying to fight a MiG. Like they said it was going to be able to stand up to MiG 21s. <laughs> no, no, I, I don't. Oh. I don't believe that for a second. Oh, as yeah, much yeah. as I love Boeing, I do not believe uh, the tiny little aircraft they proposed was going to be able to stand up to a MiG. And they planned, this is going to sound absolutely insane, they planned on having 10 of these fighters crammed inside the Boeing 747 with two places to launch from, one in the front, one in the back. So what would happen was all 10 of these planes would be stored on a big conveyor belt inside the body of the uh, 747. And then when it was time to launch one, uh, they'd take a big grappling hook. It was very similar to what they did in the 30s with those um, barbell-looking things. They'd hook it on. They would lower the plane into sort of like a hangar, which would then be sealed off and depressurized. They'd open the bottom of the plane, and they would drop it out. Um, this never really got beyond being a blueprint, so there was never a prototype. They were, they were never building it. There was never a mock-up or anything. This literally only exists as a plan, which is locked away in a file somewhere at Boeing. Um, I wonder why. Yeah, so th this also didn't seem like a, a good idea. So you might be thinking, wow, this sounds totally awesome, but I'm willing to think the other one sounded awesome when they were just a drawing too. Um, that said, it, it would have been pretty cool to see a plane getting launched out of another plane. That would have been fun to see. That would be pretty cool, yeah. That would be, yeah. Um, so now, quickly, I want to talk about uh, some of the advantages and some of the disadvantages to a flying aircraft carrier and if we'll ever see them in our lifetime. 
Uh, so first of all, some of the advantages of uh, a flying aircraft carrier. So back in the early days of flying, the obvious answer was it extended the range of aircraft. The problem is that sort of become redundant now. You have not only air-to-air -air refueling, but bombers and fighters that have ranges of thousands upon thousands of miles. So they could fly probably all the way around the world. The bombers certainly could, and the fighters could definitely make it halfway around the world. Right. That's also uh, not helped by the fact that America now has bases on pretty much every continent. Like, name a continent, and there is probably a U.S. Air Force base there. So considering they have stuff stationed all around the world, it really defeats the purpose for having a force that can deploy quickly when it's already stationed everywhere. Uh, and that said, the, the U.S. Navy, they can deploy fairly quickly. Like they can deploy from their ports to uh, a place on the other side of the world in about a week. So, uh, again, I know that sounds slow, but that is extraordinarily fast for boats. Yeah. Um, so I think really there isn't a need for a flying aircraft carrier. As, as cool as it sounds, as much as we all want it to happen, um, there just really isn't a need for it. That right. said, the U.S. Air Force has not scrapped the idea. They are still working on a uh, prototype idea, and they're testing it right now. Um, before everyone gets excited, though, because, Paul, I saw you, you sort of lit up there for a second, but... Um, the problem is they've announced it's going to be based out of a C-130, which is pretty cool. That's not the problem part. The problem part is it's going to be consisting solely of UAVs. So it's going to be all the drones. drones. Yeah, so it's, it's pretty much Im impossible. Like there's no chance you're ever going to get to be a fighter pilot getting launched out of another plane. Um, if you want to be a drone pilot, you could sit behind a computer desk and launch... Uh, an RC plane out of a, uh, out of another plane, but I have to admit that doesn't very that doesn't really interest me as much as being a fighter pilot. Unless we can make planes as big or bigger than the AN two two five very cheap, then we're not getting these anytime soon. Exactly. So I think the final conclusion that we can draw is um, flying aircraft carriers. They sound great in concept. They sound like they're the they're going to be the coolest things ever, but in practice, practice, I don't know what's going on with my voice tonight, but in practice, they very rarely work and they just end up being a huge inconvenience and a waste of money. So yeah, not only do I not think we are going to see one in our lifetime, I'm not even sure we should see one. Like, I know the Air Force said they're still developing this, but I have to admit, I think at this point, it's a bit of a waste of money that... Um, they're going to be spending millions or even billions of dollars on a concept that three times over has been proven to not work. All right. Now, with all that said, that is just about our time for tonight. Um, we'd like to thank you for listening to the Ave Geeks podcast, and we'll see you next time. Have a good one. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye.